Everything's fine. Everything's awesome. Everything is cool when you're no longer part of a team. Because <laughs> your co-hosts are bitches. Do and the, the position thing. is open. Oh, this is the last episode of the year. Perfect it, timing. Hot damn. For me to peace out sauerkrauts. Last year we talked about Rebecca <laughs> peacing out at the end of the year. We can't have you peace out this year. Let's just not do that. Don't believe me. Just watch. Ow. We're all friends. Hello and welcome. We are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Jolly. And I'm Rebecca. Thank you for joining us each week as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. Hello, all. How are you? Good. Good. And yes, Tiffany celebrates Christmas like she does her birthday. It's a month-long thing. So and it jingles the entire damn way. It does. It's so amazing. Ho, ho, ho. I know. days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, since this episode releases on the 26th, I was looking for a nice Christmas story to tell to keep the festivities going. You um, can't just tell the story of Home Alone. No, 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 no. I was actually, mm, this is going to make some people, fuck it. Um, I've never been a huge fan of those movies. Fair. So, although I used to have a crush on Macaulay Culkin when I was a kid. That should have been my reaction when you said you weren't a fan of those movies. That's fine. missed opportunity. No, yeah, well, you put it in there too. So, what's your favorite Christmas? Favorite? Famous Christmas? Ho ho ho! What is your favorite Christmas movie, Rebecca? Muppets Christmas Carol. Jim Carrey's The Grinch. I'm coming up short. I mean, I do like Jim Carrey's The Grinch. I like Elf. But I'm not like, there's not one Christmas movie that just like, the Christmas movie for me is Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, even though that's not a Christmas movie. But that's the movie me and my parents used to watch while we put up at the Christmas tree. So, yeah. So that is y'all's Christmas movie. Yeah. But this isn't just Christmas time. Before we roll into your story, don't, don't murder me, but we have a little business to take care of first. Can we take care of business at the end? Because I had a great little intro. (laughs) We can. Oh, that's fine. We can do a reminder. No, it's fine. I should do a quick reminder. We're retiring the OG Ladies of Strange logo at the end of the year. So long. Oh. Farewell. Avidas and goodbye. Goodbye. So it'll be available in the merch store until December 31st. And then. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, pretty much. I'm just kidding. It may or may not come back. We don't know. We're fickle people. I mean, I think patrons may get a sneak peek at the lo- old logo sneak peek may get to see the old logo again at some point but you should become a patron and find out i could be blowing smoke up your arses <laughs> <laughs> tiffany's just here to look pretty guys so take what she says with a grain of salt <laughs> your arsehole <laughs> somebody's been listening to mirths and Mo- well not mirths i guess infernal souls yes. <laughs> so what are we learning about today tiffany well, this episode releases on December 26th. Indeed. I was looking for a nice Christmas story to tell to keep the festivities going, but I was coming up short. My amazing husband decided to help me out. So here's what he found for our holiday special. Oh, no. On Christmas Eve, 1945, a fire destroyed the Sauter family home, killing five of the family's 10 children. Merry Christmas, everyone. Who are you and what have you done with Tiffany? 
Dude, when he sent me this, I was like, uh-uh, no. But I was like, oh, that's kind of fascinating. Uh-uh, no. And then I looked into it, and you'll you'll understand why I'm telling you this story as I, we go. I don't. You will. Ashley knows this, so she gets it. I, I do know this story. I, I still don't. All right, well, here Invasion we go. Invasion of the body snatchers. N- no? For you to oh. be covering this story. I was like, no, that has nothing to do with my story. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> You don't know it. <laughs> Tiffany's turning over a new leaf for the new year, guys. Tiffany's like, that's not in my notes. Oh, just wait for my next story. You guys are not prepared for new Tiffany. Oh, snap. All right. So let's get into this. Merry Christmas. The Sodders celebrated on Christmas Eve 1945. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I looked at a bunch of different sites and they all had the same exact information. So what I am about to give you most came straight from wiki because it's all matches the other sources so yay validating your sources (laughs) i mean all my sources are always on the blog which you guys can check out at our website theladiesstrange.com anyway the solder celebrated on christmas eve 1945 marion the oldest daughter there are 10 kids uh let me just input 10 kids the oldest was away he was in the military so marion the oldest daughter had been working at a dime store in downtown fayetteville this is in west virginia And she surprised three of her younger sisters, Martha 12, Jenny 8, and Betty 5, with new toys she had bought for them as gifts. The younger children were so excited that they asked their mother if they could stay up past what would have been their usual bedtime. At 10 p.m., the mother, Jenny, told them they could stay up a little later as long as the two oldest boys who were still awake, which were Maurice, who was 14, and his nine-year-old brother, Louis, remembered to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed themselves. As you do. Her husband and the two oldest boys, John, 23, and George, Jr., 16, who had spent the day working with their father, were already asleep. After reminding the children of their remaining chores, she took Sylvia, who was two, upstairs with her and went to bed. The telephone rang at 12.30 a.m. and Jenny woke and went downstairs to answer it. It was a woman whose voice she did not recognize, asking for a name she was not familiar with, with the sound of laughter and clinking glasses in the background. She told the caller she had received or reached a wrong number, later recalling the woman's weird laugh. She hung up and returned to bed. As she did, she noticed that the lights were still on and the curtains were not drawn, which were two things the children normally attended to when they stayed up later than their parents. Marion had fallen asleep on the living room couch, so Jenny assumed the other children, who had stayed up later, had gone back up to the attic where they slept. She closed the curtains, turned out the lights, and returned to bed. At 1 a.m., Jenny was again awakened by... Awoken? Awaken? Awoken. <laughs> awaken, awoken. Which one? Awoken? She woke? She, she, she woke AF. She... <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling this story's about to get lit. Oh my god. (laughs) Hashtag spoiler. (laughs) I love you. Sorry. I had to. At 1 a.m., Jenny was awoken by the sound of an object hitting the house's roof with a loud bang. (laughs) A loud bang? I was so focused on not laughing at awaken and awoken. My brain just completely shut off. A large bang. Jenny was awoken by a large She had bang. to go grab a khakis. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, <laughs> there was an object hitting the roof with a loud bang and then a rolling noise. After hearing nothing further, she went back to sleep. Another half hour, she woke up again smelling smoke. When she got up, she found the room George used for his office was on fire. George is the father. Around the telephone line and fuse box. She woke him and he in turn woke his oldest sons. 
both parents and four of their children, Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr. Marion is the oldest daughter, Sylvia is two, and John and George are the two older sons. They escaped the house. They frantically yelled to the children upstairs, but heard no response. They could not go up to them as the stairway itself was already aflame. Oh, maybe you should have thought about that before you ran out of the house. Sorry. Carry well, on. no, as they were running out of the house, the like they went to go get them and the stairwell was... Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. In I have flames. a lot of questions about this whole story, okay. but it's fine. So the parents and the children, the four children outside were trying to rescue the children who were upstairs, but ran into a bunch of complications. First, the phone didn't work. So Marion, the oldest daughter, ran to a neighbor to call the fire department. A driver on a nearby road had also seen the flames and called from a nearby tavern. They were unsuccessful either because they couldn't reach the operator or because the phone they turned uh, the phone they were using turned out to be broken, but either the neighbor or the passing motorist was eventually able to get in touch with the fire department. George and his sons intended to use a ladder to get into the attic and rescue the other children, and they had a ladder on the side of the house constantly, but it was not in its usual spot resting against the house and could not be found anywhere nearby. So first step called the fire department. Can't. The phone's not working, and they're having trouble with the neighbor's phone, and shit, what do you do? You get the ladder. Save the children. Ladder's not there. Shit, what do you do? There's a water barrel that could be used to extinguish the fire, but this is Christmas Eve. It's frozen solid. So George tried to pull um, his work trucks up to the house to use them to help climb up to the attic window, but he couldn't get either truck to start. So this family has two vehicles there that won't start. Both had been working the day before without any issues. Frustrated, the six solders who had escaped had no choice but to watch the house burn down and collapse over the next 45 minutes. They assumed the other five children had perished in the blaze. The fire department, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, did not respond until later that morning after the house was burnt down. Chief Morris said the next day that the already slow response was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck because he was a little inebriated. Requiring, Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm, requiring that he wait until someone who could drive the truck was available. The firefighters, one of whom was a brother of the mother, could do little but look through the ashes that were left in the solder's basement. By 10 a.m., Morse told the solders that they had not found any bones in the house. It has been noted by modern fire professionals that the search was cursory at best. Cursory? Is that the right word? Cursory. Cursory. Culinary cursory. It's fine. Um, what? <laughs> did I not say culinary at first? No, you said cursory. Okay, well, cool. Nevertheless, Morris believed that the five children unaccounted for had died in the fire, suggesting it had been hot enough to burn the bodies completely. Not the case. I mean, what? What? <laughs> so, shocked noises. <laughs> shocked noises. Insert shock noise here. Boing. Grief-stricken, the family bulldozed the land and planted a garden in memory of their beloved children four days later. Just struck down by grief. Let's get the bulldozers out here real quick. I understand that. Yeah. I am grieving. Give me horsepower. (laughs) Actually, don't. Don't ever do that. So what they did was like for four days, they sat around waiting for the police and the firemen to come up with something, but nothing was happening. And finally, they just couldn't look at the rubble any longer. It was causing so much pain that I think it was like five feet of dirt that they had to put on top of everything. And then they planted a memorial garden to their children. Okay. So what could have caused this? Why did this happen to their family? And why did things not quite add up? The official cause of fire was an accident caused by, quote, faulty wiring. 
I just, I think the dad did this whole thing. You think the dad oh, did? hundred percent. Well, let's get through the story and then we can speculate. Whoa. Mind blown. <laughs> okay. Well then, they wondered why, if it had been caused by an electrical problem, the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages when the power should have gone out. Then they found the ladder that had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away. For our non-U.S. listeners, that's 23 <laughs> meters. I seriously thought you're about, you're about to convert it to hectares. To I did not. <laughs> no. Um, it is 0.01 hectares away. I don't know how many hectares away it is because it's an area, not a linear distance. I'm sorry. <laughs> so smart. So sass. So the faulty wiring earlier in the year, not too much earlier, but a little bit earlier in the year, they had had some electrical work done and all of it had been updated. So the likelihood of faulty wiring was slim to none. A telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire as it had initially thought, but they were cut by someone who'd been willing and able to climb 14 feet up a pole and reach two feet away from it to do so. No, thank you. Or 4.3 meters up the pole <laughs> and reach 61 centimeters away. Point two has. Point two has. That would be like point zero two. If the crime involves heights, it's safe to assume I'm not involved, period. <laughs> Dude, same. Hard same. I don't do heights says the girl who jumped out of the plane but it's fine you can be afraid of something and still do it yeah face it yeah my the goal was to conquer my fear of heights did it work it was fun but i definitely did not conquer that fear a man whom neighbors had seen stealing a block and tackle from the property around the time of the fire was identified and arrested he admitted to the theft and claimed he had been the one who cut the phone line thinking it was a power line but denied having anything to do with the fire However, no record identifying him exists, and why would he have wanted to cut any utility lines to the Sodder's house while stealing the block and tackle? That has never been explained. Jenny Sodder, the mother, said in 1968 that if he had cut the power line, she and her husband, along with the other four children, never would have been able to make it out of the house alive. Or make it out of the house. Yeah, alive. That makes sense. <laughs> Jenny had also had trouble accepting Morris's belief that all traces of the children's body had been burned completely in the fire. Many of the household appliances had been found still recognizable in the ash, along with fragments of the tin roof. She contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she had read about at the same time that killed a family of seven. Skeletal remains of all the victims were reported to have been found in that case. She even burned small piles of animal bones to see if they would be completely consumed, and none ever were. That's um, not creepy at all. I mean, well, think about I it. I get it. Yeah. If you think, like, shit, this isn't adding up, where are my children? Well, this is also pre-Google. Well, yeah. But it just, there's that crazy solder, grieving solder lady burning chickens in her yard again. When I first started looking into this, the idea of losing a child in a fire was too much for me to handle for a moment and i think i i probably would have gone crazy like this if i thought there was a chance that adeline was still alive yeah but if you want to look at the body is burning um let's see <laughs> cream it oh sorry Rebecca's very concerned about no 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 no, no. the way you freeze <laughs> we're not gonna look at bodies burning i'm pro i'm sorry but if <laughs> i promise you there are no videos on this on the blog <laughs> Rebecca's face. Oh my god. Are you okay, honey? She was drinking wine as I said oh that. Oh my you god, guys. that was amazing. <laughs> Are you okay, honey? 
Are you okay? I'm, I'm <laughs> what are you Googling? <laughs> well, we looked. If you the, went from like, I couldn't handle it for a second to whoosh, if you want to look at bodies burning, um, cr- what I Googled was cremation stuff. <laughs> cremation is carried out at a temperature range of typically 1,400 degrees to 1,800 degrees for one to three hours. At Fahrenheit, Celsius? Fahrenheit. I did not include Celsius because I'm lame. And I didn't include Kelvin Jonas either. Sorry. <laughs> Thank He's you for that. bonus Jonas. He is the bonus Jonas. He doesn't get enough airplay. In more ways than what? So your typical house fire. I could only find the typical fire for um, high rises. And this was not a high rise. But the typical temperature for a high rise fire is somewhere around 1100. So. Well, and this is a smaller building of mm-hmm. different materials. And they said that the fire only lasted 45 minutes. Exactly. So the chances of the bodies burning up, bones burning up. Eh. Minute. Minute. So, then there's the truck failure. So, the Sodders trucks were both operational before they went to bed. George believes that they had been tampered with, perhaps by the same man who stole the block and tackle and cut the phone line. In 2013, though, one of his sons, or one of his son-in-laws told a newspaper that he'd come to believe they might have accidentally flooded the engines in their haste to move them, and that's why the trucks wouldn't go. But there is still the possibility that the trucks were tampered with. Given all of this, I'm so sorry. I was Googling what a block and tackle was. And? <laughs> it's like a pulley system for lifting things. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because the you whole time I did this. Stuff. You yeah. thought it was fishing stuff? The whole time I was researching this, I was like, why would he steal some tackle? And No, it's used like to lift hay bales into yeah. like the upper part of the barns. and Well, that would have been useful in this fire too. Fire? Fire? Fire to say uh, To get the Rescue mission? Yeah. Block and tackle. Block and tackle. Good to know now. Given all this, why would somebody, obviously, in my opinion, obviously the children were taken from the house because there's no evidence of them perishing. Why would somebody steal these five children and not the other kids as well? Well, because the other kids were in the room with the parents, weren't they? The two-year-old was, yes. Then there was the daughter asleep downstairs who was, I think, 16. And then the two older boys. So, yeah. Basically, the non-adult children Mm -hmm. minus the two-year-old. Yes, exactly. Mm. But why would they do this? Well, there is some speculation about the Italian mafia. Ashley's face so skeptical. Y'all are going to get me wrinkles with all my what the fuck faces I make behind my microphone. You're well, you're welcome. You're beautiful. George, the father, was born in Italy in 1895. He immigrated to the United States when he was 13 with an older brother, but his brother quickly went back to Italy. For the rest of his life, George Sauter would not talk much about why he had left his homeland. Don't think I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to give you background on the dad to explain how the Italian mafia comes into play. So. We, we gathered that. Okay, cool. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. So he began, <laughs> he began where I was just trying to figure out how to say that in Italian. Because <laughs> you speak Italian? For some reason, my brain went, how do you say that Italian? You should know this, Tiffany. No, I should not, <laughs> Tiffany. And I don't. Brain. 
Calm down, Brayton. You're not Get as your smart as you think you are. Expectations off me. Jeez. Can't handle the pressure, Brain. Oh. So George found work in the railroads in Pennsylvania, carrying water and other supplies to workers. After a few years, he took a more permanent work in West Virginia as a driver. And after a few more years, he started his own trucking company. Um, he would haul dirt to construction sites and then later moving coal uh, that was mined in the region. So wait, he started his own trucking company. And one of the theories is that they flooded the trucks in their panic. Thank you. That's what the son-in-law, his son-in-law said in 2013. George never said that he did that. George thinks the trucks were tampered with. Because like they wouldn't have had automatic, well, they wouldn't have had automatic vehicles by then. And something like that, if you drive that thing every day, it's like riding a bicycle, says something, someone whose largest vehicle they've driven is a Dodge Ram 3500. I mean, for most people, that's like... It becomes habit pretty yeah. quickly. So if he has a trucking company, mm-hmm. really don't think he flooded it. And on top of that, your house is on fire. You're trying to get your kids out. But hold, oh, let me grab the keys to both my trucks. Convenient. They might have just kept the keys in the trucks. Yeah. Mm. At that time, it wasn't unusual. I mean, hell, we've got a former would, co-worker who still does that. I would highly doubt if they were company trucks that he did. But that's fine. Fair. Well, Any, anyway, Mafia. So Jenny, his future wife, was a storekeeper's daughter in that small town of West Virginia. And she had come to the U.S. from Italy in her child. In her child. In her child. In her childhood. So they had that in common, fell in love, got married. (laughs) That's all it took back then. Oh, you're Italian too? (laughs) I mean, you joke, but kind of. So they ended up settling in Fayetteville, which had a large population of Italian immigrants in a two-story timber frame house two miles north of town. In 1923, they had their first of 10 children. George's business prospered and they became, quote, one of the most respected middle class families around. Goals. Right. (laughs) Girl. Lies. Stay out of my business. I don't need your respect. Just leave me alone. I mean, I say that, but I'm also a little bit of a needy person. So I'm like, (laughs) just respect me. The reason I started laughing is because I've been to your house and I've seen how many cars are parked out in front of it. Mine? Yeah. Yeah. And like relay because that was my house growing up. But at the same time, not inviting. Surely you just. (laughs) It's plenty inviting when people are like, my car won't start. And you you had cars. And you have cars. Um, and then my dogs are like, blah, 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 blah. I was about to say, if the cars don't drive away, <laughs> it's the four dogs outside. Like you even walk by and they're like, blah, 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 blah. y'all are making me sound real classy. Thanks, friends. <laughs> Look, you are a classy broad and I love those dogs so much. So <laughs> just don't don't fuck with my shit. Exactly. That's I, what my dogs are saying. And it, don't knock on the door. That's not what they're for. They're for your shadows in my yard. <laughs> Get out of here. My dogs are slightly neurotic. I mean, you do have one that is super special. Beyond slightly neurotic. She's magnificent. I but love she her. she cute though. Anyway. Anyway. So they're this, uh, one of the most respected middle class families around. Having said this, George had very strong opinions about many things. And this kind <laughs> of caught some slack from people around him. Dun, 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 dun. You don't say. I do have to say with my little furred mafia in the backyard, nobody would ever come steal my block and tackle and catch my house on fire. So, right. That's what they needed was dogs. Just a Priya. (laughs) There's a shadow. So since he had these very strong opinions and he told everybody who would listen, he had a couple enemies. In particular, he was very 
openly against what's what what word am I looking for here? Against against like, against what? Openly against like you have people who are very openly against. Why can you not just use openly against? Yeah, I guess I'm gonna have to because my brain is like no. My brain said no. It was virulently anti. It was very um against the Italian dictator at the time, Benito Mussolini. And he had very strong arguments with members of the population around him. Remember, he is in an area that is largely Italian immigrants. And he's very vocal about his opposition towards Mussolini. Ha ha! Opposition. <laughs> <laughs> she figured it out, guys. Got there. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> Took me a minute, but I got there. Uh, You're doing great, sweetie. Thanks, honey. So the last of the Sauter children was born in 43. That was Sylvia. By that time, their oldest son, Joe, had left home to serve in the military during World War II. The following year, Mussolini was deposed and executed. However, George's criticism of the late dictator had left some hard feelings. In October of 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman, after being rebuffed, warned George that his house, quote, would go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. He attributed this all to, quote, the dirty remarks you've been making about Mussolini. Another visitor to the house took the occasion to go around back and warn George that a particular pair of fuse boxes would, quote, cause a fire someday. George was puzzled by this observation since he had just had the house rewired and when the electric stove was installed and the local electric company had said afterwards it was safe. I have, a que- I, have, I have a question. Yes. yes. So they have fuse boxes, mm-hmm. which means the house is on some sort of circuit system. Mm-hmm. Just because the phone goes out doesn't necessarily mean the Christmas lights is going to go out. No, they're saying the Christmas lights were still on. Yeah. That was a cause of suspicion because if the house fire was so hot that it burned the bones of the body to dust. Oh, okay. They shouldn't have been able to find remnants of their appliances and the Christmas lights should have blown really early. Gotcha. I thought Yeah. you said blown and I thought there was like an electrical surge score for uh the dad passing blame in my book personally like oh yeah but there was this guy that came to the house and said uh threatened my my house and my kids and then my friend pointed out there's no record of any of these conversations but my concern or my problem with that is that he and his wife till the day they died were so adamant that their children were still alive and they fought so hard to find them which we'll get to but yeah i would imagine that if your partner i don't know his reasoning behind it like sold off or gave out you know did something with the kids to pay off some debt or make something right he wouldn't tell his wife like hey got rid of half our kids but there was no indication that there was any kind of debt that he need to pay off anywhere well no they don't usually make these things public yeah why would they document that True. And if he could silence them by doing what he could have potentially done, there would be no record of it. And a grieving father is a very good cover. I've heard this story many times. I've never once thought of the father. Always where my mind goes. Huh. Okay. Well, do with that as you will, listener. (laughs) Um, Just the one. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that was odd, in the weeks before Christmas, his older sons had noticed a strange car parked along the main highway through town, and it's Occupants were usually watching the younger solder children as they returned home from school. But the so. parents didn't find any suspicion in that. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable <laughs> with this. <laughs> Those are just my two cents. I had never thought about that, ever. There's a new spin on it for you. A really new spin. I am deeply perturbed. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Tiffany's like, this backfired. <laughs> well, no, I'm... 
I'm just, I'm so, huh. Matt's going <laughs> <Matt's laughs> to get back now. You're going to be walking, rocking back and forth with a pillow going. They had so many theories. There were so many theories. And they sounded right. I don't but know. But are they right? <laughs> are they right? Was it the father? Well, I've heard the one theory that it was one of the older brothers. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. So the parents, until the day they died, believed that their children did not perish in the fire. Their children were taken and they searched high and low. Their children, after their parents' deaths, continued to search high and low. And there is one remaining daughter, one daughter who's still alive, who her and her children are continuing to keep searching. During their search, George had seen a girl in a magazine picture, a young ballet dancer in New York City who looked like one of his missing daughters, Betty. He drove all the way to the girl's school where his repeated demands to see the girl himself were refused. So he never got to see her and see if that was his Betty. He tried to interest the FBI in investigating what he considered a kidnapping. And the director, let's see, director John Edgar Hoover, who was the first director of the FBI... So Director Hoover personally responded to his letters stating, quote, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. If the local, so end quote, if the local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, uh, he would, of course, direct agents to assist, but the Fayetteville police and fire departments declined to do so. In August of 1948, George was able to persuade a Washington, D.C. pathologist to supervise a new search through the dirt at the house. But after a thorough search, artifacts, including a dictionary that had belonged to the children and some coins were found. I'm sorry. What? 48? 49. So five years after mm-hmm. the initial uh, fire. Four years. But they found a dictionary? Yeah, he was able to persuade this pathologist to come out and dig up the site and look for human remains. They were able to find a dictionary and some coins that were not burned up. How did they find a dictionary if it wiped out bones? Exactly. Exactly. There were several small bone fragments unearthed, and they were determined to be human vertebrae. They were sent to Marshall T. Newman, a specialist at the Smithsonian Institute, and they were confirmed to be lumbar vertebrae from all the same person. But upon looking at it, it was supposed to be from an individual between the ages of 16 to 22. Given the age range of their children that went missing, the oldest Maurice had been 14 at the time. So the likelihood of those vertebrae being one of their children was very slim. Yeah. Why are they there, though? Because the dad planted evidence and wanted someone to find it after the fact. The bones showed no sign of exposure to flame. He agreed that it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found since a wood fire of such short duration should have left skeletons of all children behind. The report concluded that the vertebrae had instead most likely come from the dirt that Sauter had bulldozed over the site. That's more concerning. Well, it was supposedly confirmed that the bone fragments had come from a cemetery near Mount Hope, but could not explain why they had been taken from there or how they came to be at the fire site. Smithsonian returned the bones to the Sauters, and their current location is unknown. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Take the tape. Because the dad planted evidence and wanted someone to find it. I really don't think it was the dad. But now I'm like, do you? I re- <laughs> <laughs> so there were two open or two hearings looking into this case again in 1950. But both were closed. The Sutters were told that the case was, quote, hopeless. 
and they closed it at the state level. The FBI decided it had jurisdiction as a possible interstate kidnapping, but dropped the case after two years of following fruitless leads. So the children are not to be found as of today. So with the end of official efforts to resolve the case, the Sodders, you would think, would give up hope and cry and wallow like I would. But instead, they did not give up hope. They had flyers printed with pictures of the children offering a $5,000 reward, which later doubled. They had, in 1952, they put up a billboard at the side of the house. And the billboard. Solder. You can find the billboard by Googling. Solder children billboard. Well, the, the billboard said, after 30 years, it's not too late. Oh, sorry. This is a different billboard. <laughs> <laughs> what was their fate? Kidnapped, murdered, or are they still alive? $5,000 reward. And it had a picture of all the children. There is now a permanent board up that says, after 30 years, it's not too late to investigate. On Christmas Eve, 1945, our home was set afire and five of our children, ages 5 through 14, kidnapped. The officials blamed defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. The official report stated that the children died in the fire. However, no bones were found in the residue and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. That's an intense billboard. (laughs) What was the motive of law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? Picture number six received in and that gives you some information. That's where we're at in our story, so I'm not going to give it away. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like a billboard on the side of the road? Because how do you read that, right? It. We'll put up pictures on the blog. Um, Rebecca's going to have to show me how to copyright stuff, all that. I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's a big not even board. Yeah, that's a paragraph. Yeah. So the family never gave up hope looking. They got a couple tips here and there, and there was belief that the children were sent to Italy with the Italian mafia. There was talk about them being in Florida at one point and Colorado at one point, Texas, but none of that ever led to anything. There was a letter that was received in 1967 by the mother. The mother, Jenny, found a letter in the mail addressed to her, postmarked from Kentucky with no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man around 30 with features strongly resembling Lewis, who would have been in his 30s if he had survived. On the back was written, Lewis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, I-L-I-L boys, and then A90135 or 35. I don't know that part, but (laughs) they believe this picture was a picture of Lewis Sauter and he sent it to let her know we're still alive. I'm still alive. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. So the belief is that the children are still out there, but in order to protect their parents, they have stayed away. They hired another private detective to go to Central City, Kentucky. Kentucky? Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky to look into this, but that private detective never reported back to the Sodders and they were unable to locate him afterwards. Rude. Right. They added it to that billboard and made note that this is what he might look like now. In 1969, George died. Jenny and her surviving children, with the exception of John, who never talked about the night of the fire, except to say that the family should accept it and get on with their lives. They continue to seek answers to the questions about the missing children's fate. Uh, she passed. Jenny passed away in 1989, and they finally took the weathered, worn billboard down. So there was never any resolution to this. Unfortunately, the chances of this case being solved are dwindling. The oldest missing child would be 88 today and the youngest 79. And while it's not impossible, 
it's not probable that the children are still alive or will be alive much longer. And of course, there could be evidence found after the death tying someone's deceased loved ones to the Sauter family, but it's highly unlikely. So I'm personally going to believe that the children were taken by the mafia and raised in loving homes just to make this an easier subject for me. (laughs) I know that's super selfish, but you guys should know me by now and I'm fine with that. So I don't subscribe to the father theory. Uh, mostly because I didn't even think about that. And that makes me really sad and unhappy. Why would they be take, just taken by the mafia? Like, why would the mafia just be like, oh, I'm going to take those four? They'd have to have a reason to take the George children. George was so anti-Mussolini. Now that I say that, it doesn't make any sense. Why? <gasps> Ashley, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, why the younger children? Why not the older boys? If oh. they wanted to like negatively impact because the, the family. older boys would be able to speak and tell people what happened, they could hide the younger kids away for a while and they would forget. Not if they murdered them. The the kids were never murdered. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, but yes, they could have just disposed of them and sent them swimming with the fishes. It just confuses me that like okay, realistically, it's 1945 patriarchy is very much alive and kicking why are you taking the younger kids and not the older boys to hurt this family well we don't know where the boys were so the boys may have been harder to get to the other ones were in the attic weren't they in bed though the older boys the older boys were in bed they were Um, already asleep yes i want to see a layout i wonder if anybody's ever drawn a layout because the younger girl is asleep downstairs Mm -hmm. the youngest was in the room with the parents i wonder if like the older boys were in the room like next to the parents and it was easier for them to get to the attic and get those four and get them out than it would have been for them to go in the room next to the parents true but at the same time like i don't know there's i have a lot of questions i mean there are a lot of questions to be had in also this case. if the dad was involved it would have been a lot easier for him to take the four younger ones without them being like dad why are we going somewhere at midnight like he would have just been like kids we got to go and taking them and dropping them off with somebody but the yeah. wife woke up multiple times during the evening yeah you probably wake up when matt gets up to go pee too and not realize why you woke up i'm really uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm really uncomfortable with that. Ow. And if she had gotten a random phone call, and most of the time they only had, in that time, they probably only had one or two phones. So who's to say that the call wasn't staged for her to go into the room with the phone and talk on the phone so the dad could do what he needed to do and get back up in bed. Now, the phone call ended up being, oh, shoot, I'm already like thinking this through. The phone call ended up being confirmed that it was a misdial. How was that confirmed? How do they confirm that in 1945? They reached out. They found a woman. I don't know. Yeah, they found a woman that was like, yeah, I got paid to accidentally call somebody. That makes me... I'm really upset by this. This is supposed to be a not... There's wine that sort of kind of not really matches your sweater. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. The dad did it. In my mind, the Italian mafia did it because they care about what some random dude in West Virginia is saying about him after he's already been taken out of control mm, i'm really upset about this <laughs> <laughs> they probably do you're probably correct but they probably partnered with the dad and he was like let's work something out well fuck <laughs> the end on that note remember friends I, well before we get there i'm proud of you for covering a scary story i'm sorry i had to poke holes in that's okay your theories i appreciate or lack thereof i'm just happy it wasn't me for once also i did a search and Que sorpresa is what a surprise in Italian. Thank you. <laughs> that makes everything better. It's all better now. Fine. Thank you. Well, remember, friends, everyone has something that they find odd. Let us tell you why it's not. 
If you have any questionable topics you'd like us to discuss, you can share them with us on any of our social medias. Links can be found on our website, theladiesofstrange.com. You know what else can be found on our website? A link to the merch where you can purchase the OG logo on various t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers until December 31st, 2019. At which point... It'll become significantly harder to get your hands on. Um, or you can or you can email us at ladiesestrange at gmail.com. I've had wine and I'm speculating. <laughs> Wildly. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you think we're doing a great job and want to support the show and get really sweet bonus content and swag, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash the ladies of strange. Keep it strange, lovelies. Bye bye. Bye. Don't sell your kids to the mafia, folks. I'm really sad. I'm proud of you. Thanks.